Well, two weeks from today, it's Election Day. Two weeks from today, it's also Shlomo Kalbach's yard site, but on a different topic. Uh, two weeks from today is Election Day. Uh, the most important uh, poll... Uh, the most important poll is um, being conducted right now on Twitter. And uh, Steve Adelsberg is going to join us in a moment. On Thursday, we're going to speak both with Steve and with Ralph Rosenbaum. Um, but we've asked Steve to join us this morning because of this very important election that's happening. If you read at Tall Jewish Radio on Twitter, at Tall Jewish Radio on Twitter, um... The, the poll asks the following question. What uniform should Steve Adelsberg wear to NSN Baseball Zoom Thursday night? There is a big baseball Zoom Thursday night brought to you by Rosenbaum Financial Services starring uh, Ron Bloomberg, the Yankee legend himself. Thursday night at 7.30, we're going to be doing this on Zoom. And I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. But the question is, and the most important uh, uh, poll right now is, what uniform should Steve Adelsberg wear to the NSN Baseball Zoom on Thursday night? Uh, choice number one, if you go to Twitter, at Toll Jewish Radio. And by the way, you have till 2 o'clock on Thursday to vote. Uh, and we'll post it on Facebook. We'll do it to get your comments you know, through a Facebook post. But in terms of a real poll, we're doing it on Twitter, at Toll Jewish Radio. Choice number one, Milwaukee Brave uniform from the 1950s, number 21. Choice number two, uniform number five from the 1930s, San Francisco Clipper. And number three, a Minnesota minor league uniform uh, from the 1950s era. Those are your three choices. Steve Adelsberg, welcome back to JM in the AM. How are you there, Nochem? Good to hear you. Good morning, and good morning to all. Do you regret not digging out some of the other uniforms you have now that we actually made these three that you made me aware of, an official poll on Twitter? Well, I, these are the ones I used to wear as a, you know, uh, in, my, in my younger years. Oh, so these, was, are, these, these are the three Adelsberg classics. You got it. All now, right. it's the San Francisco Seals, mind you. Not the, you know, it gave a little hint, and, you know, as I say, my excitement. Oh, and I'm saying to myself, oh, boy. And I'm saying to myself, I wonder if that's where the nickname came from. Yeah, I'm saying the same thing. That's not what it is. That's his nickname. Oh, but you want to know something? I think I'll leave it the way it is because let people – yeah, why not? I think we'll leave it the way it is. Why why wouldn't people – you know, we'll explain that on Thursday night. uh, That's what was meant by that. But, okay, we'll leave that the way it is. I – I, I'm assuming because of the makeup of this audience that those who really know their baseball history might, in fact, gravitate toward that choice. But I will tell you that as of now, it is not the choice that's in first place on the Twitter poll. So we'll see what happens. Right. <laughs> and why And why were you, and, and it's funny because being the father of, of children who, who are yeah. mi- minor league baseball aficionados, as you know, uh, it's, yeah. it's so, kind of silly for me to even ask this question, but why would you have had a Minnesota minor league uniform? Was it the, uh, was it the look or was it actually portraying a, a person or star that we might uh, be aware of? It's a star. Oh, it's really? A star, a person, a star. And that you, was, that and was you, the deal. And you actually uh, indicated to me in the little note about these three uniforms. You indicated to me that it, that any baseball knowledgeable fan should be able to identify the Hall of Famer associated with each of these three uniforms. No question. No wow. question. Anyone from my from my age, 
uh, background, ba- uh, background. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I, 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 th- I think I have two of them. I don't know if I got the third, but anyway, hey, maybe I'm not as big a baseball expert as I thought I was. Uh, this coming, <laughs> this coming Thursday night, NSN presents Open Mic. Nahum Siegel hosts Steve Adelsberg in an event brought to you by Rosenbaum Financial Services. Thank you, Ralph. TaxCPA2.com. TaxCPA2.com. The uh, title of the get-together is The Love of the Game, Inside Baseball, Jews, and Sports. The guest is former New York Yankees legend Ron Bloomberg, author of the book Designated Hebrew, and, of course, uh, the first designated hitter in um, in the history of baseball. It's an exclusive event for JMDM and NSN supporters, so make sure you're a supporter by going to fjbunity.org and helping us out, fjbunity.org, and we give you an amazing get-together this coming Thursday night at 7.30. Now, you know something about Ron Bloomberg. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of hoping you'll be able to get a word in edgewise on Thursday night because <laughs> he, he does seem to love telling stories, and he does seem to uh, go on and on. I got about, competition, you're telling me. I got competition. Can, okay, can, I hear you. You can say that you. again. And you have a great Whitey Ford story. I believe he has a great Mickey Mantle story. I mean, obviously, he met the Mick on more than one occasion, obviously. Right. Um, because of the era that he played and how much of a connection he's had to the Yankees since then. Uh, By the way, I don't even know if you know this. I didn't know it until a couple of days ago. He's actually in the middle of writing a book about his relationship with Thurman Munson. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So he'll give us a little little preview. I think I forgot what it's called. Something with the captain. I forgot what it's called. Uh, But I'm sure he'll give us a little preview of that Thursday night as well. So there's a lot to look forward to on Thursday night. Right. Thurman Munson's are very interesting. But that really Thurman Munson is really the beginning of the new Yankee era, I like to see when Steinbrenner got successful. Right. You, know, you have to remember Steinbrenner comes in seventy, seventy one, seventy two, and that was probably the wor- the lowest period of the Yankees in their history. Right. Not even thinking, you're thinking about that. That was the first time he actually lost and and you know and I know. The Mets owned the city back then. That's they correct. owned the city. And they won they the sixty nine World Series. Uh, even before that, they were very—they were the darlings. They, they were the darlings, and like you know, as Casey Stengel asked, "Can anyone play this game around here?" Right. You know? Do you do you remember going to the big ballpark in the South Bronx when they were in tenth place? And yes, folks, at one time there was a thing called tenth place in the American League. Uh, do you remember? Was, do you remember going, or you just ignored them in that period? No, nah, no, nah, you went. You had to go. I remember. You know, I remember it was a big story about. I want to ask Ron Bloomberg about about this. That, you know, Steinbrenner comes on, we know nothing about him except, you know, you'll, you'll be like the rest of the owners. Right. Quiet, watching, you watch the game, you know? Right. And he was he start off with, because he hated, as we all know, facial hair and long hair. Right. Be, and uh, he starts up with Bobby Mercer. Right. Tells him to get a haircut. Right. <laughs> and, like, the, I think the New York press says, hey, no one tells Mercer. You know, Mercer was going to be, never, he never reached that, that level. God rest his soul. But Mercer was supposed to be the new the man, the new mantle. Yeah, it was. You he know, was signed by the same agent as Mickey Mantle. He came from the same town or state as Mickey Mantle, and they thought he'd be the next right. Mickey Mantle, except just a lefty hitter. Uh, right, right. But um, uh, I, there was, and I, I have it somewhere, and I better find it before Thursday night. Now that I'm thinking about it, there was a Sports Illustrated cover about the Yankees of that era that featured Mercer and Bloomberg, like the right. new, the new sluggers of the Yankees. Right, and now I mean, that I, I mean, I think I even Ron, I think I even had Ronnie autograph it, if I'm not mistaken. And now I better find I, it. <laughs> I look at I look at Ronnie's Ron Bloomberg's numbers. The guy had great numbers. Yeah, <laughs> you look at that, he was a 300 hitter. Unfortunately, too short a career. Yeah, 
Right, right. But uh, but if remember anyone anyone of us who remembers them, remember that, that great lefty swing in the short porch of Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Back then, Yankee Stadium was not a nice place. You know, it really wasn't. The upper deck was like you know straight up. And uh, I think I mentioned the last show I was a vendor there. And right. if they put you in the upper deck to sell peanuts. It was like going to purgatory. It was not cool. So we have so we have two of the most important people in Yankees history. We have we have slugger Rod Blueberg and vendor Steve Adelsberg. That's right. That's where I got where I got my start. You know, you were the original Freddy. You were the original mascot among the uh, people who roamed the stands at Yankee yeah. Stadium. Well, it's, it's even better than that because I I told this to my grandchildren. I have a grandson. My uh, JJ, who's a, who's a who's a great kid, of course, he's seven years old, and he has the squeakiest voice. He just screeches, and I'm going. So I said, guys, you know, I had the same problem. I said to the other his brothers, because what do you mean? When I was when I was working Yankee Stadium, I was in eighth grade. I used to yell peanuts, 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 <laughs> and everyone makes fun of me. Hey, girly, over here. And that was during the giant football games back in '68. Six months later, I come back for baseball, and no one's making fun of me. I go home. I said, Ma, they're not making fun of me. I go, I know. Your voice changed. Wow, Your voice that's changed. funny. That's how that's young what... you were in the stands at Yankee Stadium. That's how I was. That was the deal. What it took, to make, figure... what it took to make a living in those days, huh? <laughs> Unbelievable. What parent would let a 12-year-old even go to Yankee Stadium to, to work these days? I don't know. I doubt you're even allowed to at this point. Can't do anything well, anymore. <laughs> well, that was the yes, that was the big thing. Getting working, I think called working papers. Right, you had to get working papers. But I remember it was back then. You couldn't get a Giants football games. Right, New York New York Giants were like you know the, the games were blacked out. You had to see a game. You had to go seventy five miles outside the radius of uh, New York City. Right. So the closest place you saw a New York Giant football game was Hartford. It, it was on Channel Three. And your TV was all fuzzy. Some neighbors sometimes had a special antenna just to see the giant football games. So I said to my father, hey, Dad, if I can figure out how to get into Yankee Stadium, could I go to the giant football games? And he laughed. And he says, you can figure it out. and You can get in there. You're in. I became a vendor. That got me in. Unbelievable. So my mother says, Sam. My father over show me. He says, Sam, you're not letting him go. He goes, I made a deal. And, uh... And the rest is history. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Unbelievable how much time you spent there. So you remember you remember the Mick. Uh, you can't really you can't really say in his prime, I don't think, or can you? But you certainly remember him hitting home runs toward the end of his career. My fir- my first memory, of course, of of the Mick was uh, really sixty sixty one. I have a memory of Mazeroski. I have a very distinctive memory of Bobby Richardson hitting right. that line drive. Off William, Mc- no, I mean, sorry, William William McCovey, McCovey hitting the line drive, straight off to Richardson. Richardson, with, uh, with, as I say, uh, uh, second and third, when mm-hmm. Roger Maris made that great throw against Matty Alou. and um, and he held him at third base. Yeah, if you're and- a real baseball fan and you're young. Go look up the final play of the 1962 World Series, and you'll see what Steve Adelsberg's talking about. The Yankees were that close to losing to the Giants in that series. Right, that was a that was a great, great series, and the star of that series really was, of course, Ralph Terry, the pitcher, you know, who gave up who gave up the home run in 1960 to Mazeroski. Right. So he comes back in '62 and is a hero. But if you remember a guy named, we all remember Tom Tresh. Sure. And Tom Tresh was a was a was played shortstop, 
because he replaced Tony Kubek, who went to the Army. Right. I mean, I, the both players actually got drafted and went to the Army, actually went away for two years to the Army to serve their country. Yeah. It was... Uh, what a, diff- what, a different, what a different era. Uh, those yeah. of you who want to vote, it's up on Facebook now. Facebook will do it, diff- <laughs> will do it differently. Uh, you literally just put the uh, answer in the comments section. Go check my profile, Nahum Siegel, on Facebook. Again, my profile, the network profile, we'll share it later in the day. What uniform should Steve Edelsberg wear to the Thursday night NSN Baseball Zoom? Choice number one is number 21, meaning uniform number 21 from the Milwaukee Braves in the 1950s. The San Francisco, what Steve is calling Clipper uniform, and that's a, there's a hint in there, uh, Clipper uniform number five from the 1930s. It was really the San. What'd you call it? The San Francisco Seals was the real name. Seals. Seals. And finally, Minneapolis minor league uniform from the 1950s. What was the nickname of that Minneapolis team? Do you remember? I think it was the Millers, if I can remember correctly. The Millers. Yeah, Millers, uh, something like that. Uh, I can, I can see naming a Jewish team the Millers. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if no, you go, those are the cheese, those are the cheese men. <laughs> if you could, yeah, I know. If you go, <laughs> I got the historical <laughs> reference. If you go to Twitter at Toll Jewish Radio or Facebook to uh, my profile on Facebook, you could vote on Twitter. It's the actual poll, and right now. If you look, Steve, because the the Twitter poll is about you know forty seconds old, one hundred percent of the votes is for the Milwaukee Brave uniform at this moment. So, <laughs> so I have a feeling I have a feeling that might change as the day goes by. You can vote. Well, in- I was going to say I think my mother just voted because I think she cleaned three uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> and you can go to Twitter and vote until Thursday at two p.m. Thursday at two p.m. Eastern time. So join us, everybody! It's an exclusive event for Jay. Them supporters, simple as that. We're calling it Open Mic. Nahum Siegel hosts Steve Adelsberg, the love of the game inside baseball, Jews, and sports, with former New York Yankees legend Ron Bloomberg, author of the book Designated Hebrew. It's this coming Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Brought to you by Rosenbaum Financial Services, taxcpa2.com. And we will give you the Zoom ID and password on Thursday, of course. Uh, those of you who want it now, it's already up on the uh, on the flyer that's going around on social media and WhatsApp. Steve, have you been sending the flyer to any baseball fans out there? Yeah, my mother's a big fan. My sister's a great fan. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't say Steve Adelsberg fans. I said to any baseball fans out oh, there. Well I, well, I sent it to my rebbies from Hank when I was in elementary school because they said I would. I said if you knew, as I said, if you knew your Gamora as much as you knew your baseball, <laughs> so <you'd>... <laughs> so so this proves that that your your direction was the right one because now you've achieved this level of celebrity. You're saying exactly so that... <laughs> my my Gamora learning never got me on the radio. <laughs> but look at this. Your baseball experience in sports life has finally gotten you this notoriety. Uh, that, that, that'll show those rabbis, huh, Steve? <laughs> yeah. I think all of us, every one of us, you, you, and every, all of our listeners, who are from the 60s and 70s, has the same comment from their father and their yep. grandfather. Oh, if you yes. know you Baseball. If you knew your Gamora like you knew your baseball, no you know, everything started up that way. No question about it. No question about it. What did Mantle bat? In, uh, oh, no, you, you were too young in the 61 season, right? No. I, I oh, if you that. remember Mazeroski, then you have to remember. You remember the entire so run, 60, then. The 60 season, had, yeah. that was the first team. That team had six guys on the 61 Yankees who hit 20 home runs more. Right. Well, it's good. We could go through them very quickly. I remember you know, that. You had, you had three catches on that team. Elston Howard, Johnny Blanchard, and you had Yogi Berra. 
Then, of course, you had, you had Scarron hitting over 20 home runs, Moose Scarron. You had Maris, and you had Mantle. And uh, one of the great questions people used to ask was, like, you know, give me an all-star team of guys who won back-to-back MVP awards. Maris is one of them, right? Maris is one of them. He won. In, he wins in 1960 when he hits 39 home runs uh, for the Yanks. And then, of course, 61 was his great year of 61 home runs. You remember when Mantle got injured in 61? I remember exactly because he was the favorite. We, right. Every year they have in the paper they had a little column yep. of who was ahead, Mantle or Maris, in the home run. Who's going to break Ruth's record? Yeah. And at the end, in the last two weeks, Mantle got an infection in his leg, and that was and that was really it for him. And he kind of limped the rest of the, the rest of the year. That '61 when they beat the Reds, which four games to one. And that was really the uh, the height of the Yankees because I remember that very well. Of course, the manager that's the manager that re- they replaced to Casey Stengel, and they gave him with the ma- with the major Ralph Houck. Right, and that was an era when newspapers were king. Everybody, but way before they were uh, they were censored by uh, high tech uh, social media groups. So uh, that's when newspapers ruled the city. And yes, every single day, uh, my late brother actually had a scrapbook, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Every single day in the paper, following what Mantle and Maris were doing. And uh, how do you explain the sixty-one? Do you think the do you think it was steroids, Steve? Do you think the ball was juiced? How do you explain the sixty-one home runs compared to thirty-nine the year before? Boy, all I could say <laughs> is that he was in a groove. But the best move, what was the best move that Roger Maris ever made yeah. that set him up for life? Yeah, the best move, of course, we all know he was traded from the Yankees to the, to the St. Louis Cardinals. Right. Who's he traded for? If I remember correctly, I believe it was Charlie Smith. Right. Man, uh, Maris goes over there, and he's, he's a he's a solid player for St. Louis on a great St. Louis team. He actually played but, against the Yankees in the '64 World Series, right? Exactly, I, yeah. exactly. Johnny King was the manager for the Cardinals, who later right. would become the manager. Yogi gets fired, right, for losing Game Seven, right? And it's and he's and he and that's he's bitter. But in that six in that in that '68 team was when Maris. And he stays for '68, and he got, and Bush, Gussie Bush, the owner of the Cardinals, says, "Stay one more year, and I'll give you a distributorship of Budweiser beer right. in a in an unknown in a city that was really not developed. It was called Tampa, Florida. Right. The Maris family got the got the dealership, and I remember the Wall Street Journal had had a tax column every Wednesday." And in it was that the Maris has tried to pass the distributorship from Roger Maris to the kids because he got sick early. He died young, Roger right, Maris. Right. And they tried to value, this is going back 40 to 50 years, they tried to value the dealership at $9 million. And the IRS threw it out and said it's worth much more. So I always remember, see, Maris made a good deal. Unbelievable. Talk yeah, about being was, set for life. Wow. You know, you <laughs> If you remember, you know, Mantle never did anything successful in the business world. Right. He was until at the end when they said, Don't put your money up, just put your name up. Right. But Maris was was fantastically successful with that dealership in an area that was gonna take off in uh, the in the country. Yeah, Mantle you never know. realized he was Mickey Mantle. Right. It was and also I think he was Mantle had the one thing he his grandfather died at forty. Right. His father died at forty, and he felt it's going to be the same way for him. Yeah, he always never, said, he always said if he knew he would live longer, that he would never <laughs> he would never have abused his body the way he did. Exactly. Uh, and by the way, you mentioned Yogi. Now Yogi really is the Billy the poor man's Billy Martin. 
Because Billy Martin, you know, essentially deserved the way he was treated with the up and down and the and the firing and hiring, et cetera. Yogi went through the same thing but never really deserved it. And I always think I, that uh, that that it started with that, with the 64 World Series. They, it kind of, it started, exactly. He got shafted. But Yogi, he was portrayed by the press as being a funny guy. Right. And they and, and, and a crowd favorite. That's why it's amazing. Oh. But I guess Martin also was a, was a fan favorite. But, but you know, it's, it's amazing that they got away with the way they dealt with him when he was so beloved by the public. Well, I always remember, you said before, the gang of three was Whitey Ford, Mickey Mantle, and, of course, Billy Martin. Right. And in 57, they, get, they go to the Copacabana. They got in that famous fight where, you know, Martin, you didn't have to take much for Martin to get in a fight. And the Yankee brass said... Who's going here? And they said, "There's no question. We're keeping Ford. We're keeping Mantle." Billy Martin was on the next was on the next train right. out of town, and uh, they needed you know, a good was, scapegoat. Right, right. But uh, but, I mean, I, but, but was, again, again, I just thought that you know, on paper at least, Billy deserved that kind of treatment. Uh, yeah, Barrett didn't yeah. really deserve it. Uh, everybody out there, you know the big question. The big question is, what uniform should Steve Adelsberg wear to the NSN? baseball zoom this coming thursday night he'll probably knowing him we'll be able to convince him to uh, display all of the uniforms or one of them he's actually going to be on him one of them he's going to actually make believe that he's one of these great hall of famers of yesteryear is it the number 21 milwaukee brave uniform of the 1950s the san francisco uniform uh, number five from the 1930s or minnesota's minor league uniform in the 1950s and of course thursday night steve will explain uh, what all of these have to do with Hall of Famers. But we need your input. If you're a baseball fan or not, you can go to Twitter at Tall Jewish Radio, at Tall Jewish Radio, and vote right now. And of course, uh, go to Facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel and you could toss your comment into the comment section. The uh, question is asked in our most recent post under my profile on Facebook, Nahum Siegel. Uh, Steve, I hope we left some stuff for Thursday night. <laughs> I think we usually do. I got, I got that Whitey Ford, I got that Whitey Ford story, and you're gonna. I'm telling you, you're gonna love it more than. Well, life. you it's don't. Brilliant. You don't realize that you've told me that Whitey Ford story. But you want to know uh-huh. something? It's so amazing. Uh, first of all, he just died, so we should tell it. That, you know, for right. that. But number two, it's so amazing. I do not mind hearing it again. And I think you're right. Everybody who's on that Zoom call on Thursday night is going to love it. It's really a great story, and it has to do with you. And you don't come out looking so great, so it makes it even better. <laughs> no, it's really my mother. She lives in Woodbury Wells. Yesterday, she celebrated her 95th birthday. Wow! And she still works with us in the office. Wow! <laughs> I could give you. I could give you one more. One no, more. no wonder, no wonder you're, yes, no wonder you're always in check. You got your mom looking over your shoulder still. <laughs> well, to give you an idea, wow. back in 1994, 19. If you have a quick second, Mark, 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 yeah. 1994, the Knicks and the Rangers. It's the greatest year for sports. Right. In, the Knicks and Rangers. It right. was unbelievable. Right. Everyone's. We have every series is a game seven. You know, it's, uh, everyone remembers that. It, it was exciting, and. Uh, I would go into the Nick games. I had tickets to be able to get to the Ranger games. And my partner, Danny Kramer, who's a great, great sports fan, probably the most knowledgeable sports fan I'm ever going to you gonna meet. He better join he, us on Thursday night. I even, <laughs> let's put it this way. If Danny's on and Ron's on and you got you and you got me, me and you are in third and fourth place <laughs> in getting that microphone. I'm telling you right now, those guys could talk. Those guys got stories. I mean, I got stories about Danny back in 68 and 69 when we were in MTA together, 
And he said, and, and it was a big secret. He ran. We had school on Sunday, but he sneaked out. He went to the Super Bowl in Miami from MTA, gets on a plane, goes to Miami, but the big secret. And the next day, Monday, he comes back, and he's got the Jet Pennants, and he's got Jet programs. And he said, nice secret, Danny. Anything else you want to do and tell that, us? That is great. Oh, man. I, I hope he's on just so I can ask him about that. So you were saying 1994, yeah? 1994. So we we have tickets. To, we have pretty, pretty good seats to the Knicks on the on um for the ninety four season and going for that's my seat now going for further. That's my season tickets. Then he gets a call from someone who wants to sell the rights, the key money, for his tickets to the Rangers and Knicks. Now hear this. The Rangers, they're basically seven rows behind the Ranger uh Ranger bench and the Nick tickets are four rows behind. And the price is a hundred and ten thousand dollars for the key money. And we have to figure out a scheme how we could transfer his name to our name and to get the tickets. We get lawyers that were involved, and it was one hundred ten thousand. We were going to split it, and I and he says, "Let's send fifty five thousand dollars to the lawyers for escrow." My mother, who's the bookkeeper, ma, I need a fifty five thousand dollar check going to this lawyer for yada yada yada. She says to me, "That's it. I quit, ma. You can't quit. You're my mother. That's <laughs> it." No, no, no. My father, who had passed back in 1985, my mother says, I see you. I hear your father. He's turning in his grave. We can't do this. I, I get it. I can't. These tickets, all you do is tickets. What? I can't do this. Ma, this is a business arrangement. What are you talking about? We are buying it. We don't want to go to the games. We're going to sell these tickets. Right. The tickets for the Rangers <laughs> cost 150 We have a broker who's going to buy the whole season for 190 It's an investment. I have to tell you something. That spring in the '94, the gentleman who owned the seats made I figured out approximately forty thousand dollars just in the playoffs. He re, he reneged on the deal. <gasps> he reneged. He said, "I'm not selling it. It's too, it's too cheap of a price." It was probably the worst mistake he could because you remember the next year, '95, there was there was a hockey strike, right? And and the Knicks really never reached that level. They got to the finals once with San Antonio right. back in '99, right? But you know, that was it. And, you know, in Madison Square Garden, got very, very, very much aware of the price, especially with the Internet, what the price of the secondary market was. And they wanted to eliminate that. You know, you know, I have a ticket for 150 They wanted to get – if, if it could go for more – we want a part of that. You know, it's, so that's where the price is sort of really going up. It's and, funny. It, it's funny how big business ruins so many things. You you remind me of a friend of mine who was very involved with the '96 Yankees, right. uh, who of course came out of nowhere and, and and won, and and was able to conduct business and make some money because you know he happened to be involved with the Yankees. By the time they get to their you know the the real part of the dynasty in 98 99 2000 he is completely shut out the team wants nothing to do with him and they're understand right. <laughs> they're understanding the value of their tickets and of their items oh. and of their swag they're understanding much much better the value out there hard for a lot of people to understand right now post a couple of bad economic downturns and of course with covid but if you remember that era it was you know they were printing money and they realized they could go ahead and do it Right. you got to remember, they're coming off the years of the 70s. Yeah. When Yankee Stadium was a ghost town, the question we always ask, and everyone knows, in 1961, in the last game of the season against Tracy Stylard, Roger Maris hits his famous fabled home run. Right. The question, of course, I think Red Barber was the announcer. And 
how many people were in Yankee Stadium? Right. What's your call? And at the time, they didn't. I don't think they hit more than twenty thousand people in the stadium. I think there were about twenty. Up. If I remember, I think there were about twenty. Not only right. that. Not only that. We know people, and you might be one of them, who were on the field after every series in seventy six, seventy seven, and seventy eight. Some of whom made it into the locker room after the seventy seven <laughs> World Series victory. It was just. It was such a different era. If you tell yeah. this, if you tell this to kids today, they're never going to believe that these things actually used to take place. Yeah. I remember going, I remember from uh, the sophomore MTA in 69, the Mets were taking over the city. I remember, you know, there was a pennant, there was a pennant clinching game. There was a division series pinching game against the Atlanta Braves. And of course, there was the World Series. Each time they won, the fans took the field and chewed up the really? field. Remember, wasn't that the, the problem that the Mets had trying to restart the World Series after, the, uh, after they won the pennant in 69? They had it was the, they they had a problem. The Jets had a worse problem. Right. They had no field to play on. Right, right. It was uh, that was like you know so a different was, a different era. In fact, those of us who, those of us who are old enough remember when it stopped. It stopped, I think, uh, after the I think after the nineteen eighty World Series when the police exactly. the police horses came on right police horses came onto the field and and basically said to the world, "You are never going to have access to any professional athlete again." That's basically what I, happened there. And that's four. That's forty. That's forty. That, that's forty was, years ago this week. Forty years ago this week. It was. It was. It was the Philadelphia Phillies. Who was the mayor of Philadelphia? Mr. Law Order himself, Frank Rizzo. Right. The whole nation. The Phillies about to clinch it. Clinch the series. The whole nation's watching. And who comes in the ninth inning? This lineup of dogs. Right. Horses and police Correct. in riot gear, giving anyone who has an idea of, of, of yeah. going on the field, it ain't going to happen. I'm telling you, <laughs> that, that's, that's when law enforcement said you're never going to have uh, access right. to athletes right. again. Uh, a lot of kids listening would not even believe that that, that, that was Do ever you remember, a thing. Do you remember how we used to exit Yankee Stadium? Because it was a very tough place to exit. We used to exit Yankee Stadium by walking on the field and going out through the bullpen in right field. Stay with the line that you walked out. That's how you want to – they exit you on the field. It was that much easier. You're definitely thinking of Yankee Stadium and not another ballpark? A hundred percent. I remember. You can ask. I, I'm sure there's some caller out there who's going to remember that the Yankee Stadium, you exited. I remember the, when you were in the, lower, in the lower section in the box seats, you went on the field, on the little on the warning track, and you went out to the right field bullpen, which put you on River Avenue. It's funny. My first Yankee game ever was 1972, and I don't remember that. But that's unbelievable. If that's true, that's unbelievable. Because my, wow. my first game, going to Yankee Stadium in '61, my father taking me one of the first games when Maris hit the home run. They weren't. They didn't. They weren't hitting back to back. It was Maris, then Hector. It was Hector Lopez. Right. I remember Hector Lopez. Well, I believe. I believe he was from West Hempstead. He's. You know. <laughs> I don't think he was a starter, or I think he was one of the founders of the Young Israel of West Hempstead. He was from West Hempstead. <laughs> Hector Lopez and Mantle Maris hit home runs right back to, with Hector Lopez being in the middle. I don't know how Hector Lopez got in the middle of Maris and Mantle, the M&M boys, but that's, that's what it was. You know, uh, no, well, okay, so now I'm going to tell you. I, you know, <laughs> knowing you, you always get it right, so it's a shock when, you don't, when you're not accurate. Uh, he was born in Panama. His more, okay, but he lived. But he lived. He, when he was in New York, I believe he lived in West Hempstead. Oh, that could be. Yeah. Oh, that's what you meant. That he, when you say he was yeah. from West Hempstead, I didn't realize what you meant. Yeah. yeah originally from Panama. 
Uh, and one other thing, and I think you and I have spoken about this before on the air, another thing that kids out there will never, ever, ever experience. What was it like after seeing black and white television and newspapers, which never had color photos, what was it like walking into the stadium for the first time as a kid and seeing the green grass and all the colors? I, I remember that to this day. This is 48 years ago, and I remember what it looked like to this day. Not only to remember, but every time after, when we'd walk into the stadium and come out of the tunnel to see the field, it was one of the most beautiful sights. Only probably the only sight that was more pretty than seeing Yerushalayim. <laughs> so we have we have the top two. If we would do a poll, we have the top two. We have Yerushalayim, and then we have Yankee or Stadium. Seeing, or seeing the green grass of Yankee Stadium. That's when they came out with the artificial turf. I go, what is that? You know, unbelievable <laughs> artificial turf. Let's not even get started on that one. Should ask Ronnie about that Thursday night. Join us, everybody, Thursday night for the Zoom. We'll talk more about it on Thursday. And uh, and make sure to participate in the poll. Go to at Told Jewish Radio on Twitter, at Told Jewish Radio on Twitter, Nahum Siegel pro- Profile on Facebook, and let us know what uniform Steve Adelsberg should wear during the Zoom session this coming Thursday night. The uniforms are, uh, are uh, uniforms that are uh, between... Let me figure this out. 70 and 90 years old, depending on how you look at it, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Steve, I thank you, and we look forward to Thursday night. We'll speak Thursday morning. You got it, my friend. Have a great day. And by the way, one last hint. I see outside, as you see, it's a little raining. That's a hint to the Milwaukee Braves. It's raining out. What, do they, what does rain have to do with that uniform? Yeah, it's, I figured. It's funny. I said to myself, "Is it is it Hank Aaron or is it the guy that you are now alluding to?" Because you are <laughs> you are shocked that I now got it based on that hit. You are shocked, <laughs> but it shows you that not only do I come from a, from a family of uh, of many baseball fans, I come from a family of older baseball fans. <laughs> you know, my late my late brother was born in 1951, so I was I was I was schooled properly on all the proper phrases. One of which is a hint to what you just said. Thank you, Steve Adelsberg. Thank you, Nahum. On Thursday night, join us, an exclusive event for JMNAM and NSN supporters. For the love of the game, Nahum Siegel host Steve Adelsberg and former New York Yankees legend Ron Bloomberg. Thank you to Ralph Rosenbaum and Rosenbaum Financial Services, taxcpa2.com. Thursday, we'll give you all the Zoom information, and we'll talk more about the event. And for those of you <laughs> those of you who are not baseball fans, I know you're going to kill me because <laughs> I didn't expect that conversation to be more than about five, ten minutes just to announce the poll. But as usual, I completely went overboard. More coming up. This is JM in the AM. Mm-hmm.